Welcome to Transit Unplugged. I'm your host, Paul Comfort, and this is our Good Friday, Easter weekend special edition of Comfort's Corner. As we head into the weekend, it has been a phenomenal week in public transportation as uh, there's been a lot of headline news that we'll be bringing you in just a moment. Uh, A lot of uh, good news coming out of the public transit industry this week, as well as some tragic news about a lot of operators being uh, catching the COVID virus. Uh, But I want to talk to you about good news today on our Good Friday edition. Some of the interesting things that are happening around the industry will give you some headlines, and we've got an interesting insight from... uh, Listener of the program, who she's a um, uh, somebody who works in the uh, tech industry um, in Silicon Valley and uh, helps. She, the way she put it to me was she helps millionaires become billionaires. But she's also a transit geek, and she had some good ideas on how we need to be messaging transit. And so I asked her to send me, you know, a recording of that. And so that's on today's program as well. And if you've got an on us to include on our three times a week new pop up podcast on Monday. Windage at my email, paul.comfort at trapezegroup.com, or follow me on Twitter and send me a direct message there. I'd be happy to connect with you and highlight any uh, interesting tidbits that you're pulling from the industry. Uh, one of the big things happening right now, I think, is that um, as coronavirus uh, quiets the streets, a lot of cities are uh, improving their transit fixes. In other words, just like we talked about in our last discussion, uh, while cities are in lockdown and workplaces are closed, and there's a big drop in transit ridership, uh, cities are moving forward with uh, big-time big things, big-time projects. Um, give you a couple of examples. Um, in Los Angeles, where traffic levels have dropped 60% under the shelter-and-order place, uh, the Beverly Hills City Council voted to approve full temporary closure of a segment of Wilshire Boulevard, which allowed uh, the LA County Metropolitan Transit Authority to expedite pile installation and construction of new concrete street deck on phase two of the extension of LA Metro's Purple Line into the heart of Beverly Hills. Big project that needed to be done to allow them to get it done. It's a $2.4 billion subway plan, and it did have some opposition from residents, uh, but they're able to take advantage of this and move forward. Reno has taken advantage of the zeroed-out traffic to hasten work on the Virginia Street Bus Rapid Transit Extension Project, an $87 million plan to improve pedestrian access in the city's core and extend an express bus line to the local University of Nevada campus. Again, these are great ideas, basically you know, using the time wisely. Uh, as the traffic is down, why not get all these projects done? Uh, road, highway, and bridge construction is also moving ahead in a lot of um, places across the country, Indiana, Florida, New Jersey, Washington, D.C. region. Idle transit lines around the U.S. are getting a boost, too, according to an article in City Lab. Uh, in San Francisco, a labor shortage and massive ridership drop has forced the San Francisco Municipal Transit Agency to suspend track service to all but just 17 core bus lines. What's the upside? Track maintenance on the muting rail lines can now happen virtually unimpeded. Uh, the Bay Area Rapid Transit, BART, which moved closing time from midnight to 9 p.m. after losing over 90% of its passengers, is spending the extra time and staff replacing rails and cables, shoring up leaky tunnels, sprucing up stations. Uh, Alicia Trost, the chief communications officer for BART, said that's all work that had been on a certain timeline, and now we can put labor into it quicker. You know, some folks are saying, well, it's going to be – you know, difficult for people, you know, we're doing all these projects. Are people going to come back and is ridership going to be increased? Well, I addressed that in an upcoming article in uh, 
next month, May's Mass Tra- or Metro Magazine. So I want you to uh, take a look at it. It's the five long-term implications of what's happening with the coronavirus and how that could impact us. And, uh, and we'll see what some of those impacts will be. One of the impacts right now has been a dramatic decline, like 25 to 30% in the usage of gasoline. It's kind of funny, you know, gasoline has dropped to, you know, in a lot of places in the country, well under $2 now a gallon, eighty five is what we're paying here in Maryland, and I've seen it lower in other parts of the country, uh, and yet, um, you know, people aren't driving as much, so it's uh, it's an unprecedented time for what's happening, and um, transit systems, uh, I'm, uh, what we're seeing is a cleaner environment, people over LA can see the smog lift and can see the skies, less gasoline usage, and really movement to the front of the fact that public transportation and that it's clean and environmentally friendly is taking more cars off the road and it's even more important than ever as we come back from this pandemic virus. In the meantime, some uh, transit districts are taking steps a little further in order to promote social distancing and safety on the vehicle. One such uh, agency, the Lane Transit District, is now requiring all passengers on their vehicles in Oregon and visitors to their facilities to wear a face mask covering their nose and mouth. So if you're going to ride your bus, they want you to have a face mask on. And that's interesting because the Center for Disease Control, CDC, has just released guidance this week for bus operators, as well as transit agencies and motor coach and bus operations to remain safe and protect themselves from COVID-19 while interacting with customers. Um, For bus transit operators, potential sources of exposure include having close contact with a bus passenger with COVID-19 or by contacting surfaces touched or handled by a person with COVID-19. So the CDC, the Centers for Disease Control, is suggesting that drivers limit close contact with others by maintaining a distance of at least six feet when possible, considering asking bus passengers to enter and exit the bus through the rear entry doors, request passengers to avoid standing or sitting within six feet of the bus driver, avoid touching surfaces often touched by bus passengers, use gloves if required to touch surfaces contaminated by body fluids, practice routine cleaning and disinfection of frequently touched surfaces, including surfaces in the driver cockpit commonly touched by the operator, proper hand hygiene is an important infection control measure, regularly wash your hands with soap and water for at least 20 seconds or use an alcohol-based hand sanitizer including containing at least 60% alcohol and they say key times to clean hands you know are obviously before during after preparing food using the toilet or blowing your nose coughing or sneezing and so all these are on the CDC website now but I thought it was interesting they issued some guidance specifically for our drivers uh, which is which is great you know and that's I think a lot of agencies are already practicing those things we're going to have some other uh, interesting tidbits for you if you're interested, uh, where we can talk to some of the top CEOs in the industry and find out what they're doing. And I'm doing it by hosting a special CEO roundtable called Managing Through COVID-19. It's part of our Transit Unplugged series. I've got six top CEOs and they're going to be live talking to you this coming Tuesday, April 14th at 2 p.m. Eastern time through 2-3.30. Uh, and these CEOs include Inez Evans, who's president and CEO of Indigo in Indianapolis, Scott Bogren, who's executive director of the Community Transportation Association of America, representing America's small and mid-sized agencies, Wade Coombs, director of transit for Strathcona County Transit in Canada. He'll be giving us the Canadian perspective. Julie Tim, CEO of the Richmond Transit System, GRTC. And Kevin Quinn, CEO and administrator of MTA, a statewide agency uh, located in Baltimore, and Bill Carpenter, CEO of Rochester, New York, that state who's been particularly hit hard, uh, and he's got some great best practices he'll be talking about. And that's what we'll be talking about. 
it'll be on this Tuesday again, April 14th. It's free. You can register online at uh, trapezegroup.com. And uh, the global pandemic has hit transit hard. And these CEOs are going to talk about how they are handling and reacting this. What are they doing to respond to the pandemic? How is it affecting ridership, their staff, budgeting, new projects, and more? It's a great uh, program. A lot of um, programs are out there right now. There's a lot of uh, uh, webinars going on and special online programs since we're all working from home or, uh, or not able to gather in groups. This is one of the first ones I've seen, though, with six top CEOs addressing what's happening. And then right after that, the following week, I'm going to do another executive roundtable. Uh, with preparing for beyond COVID-19. That'll be on Tuesday, the 21st. And we'll have Lauren Skyver on there, general manager of Sunline Transit, as well as some other transit leaders. And then the following week, Tuesday, April 28th, we're also going to do an executive roundtable beyond COVID-19 lessons learned. That'll include Jim McDonald from Saskatoon Transit, a number of other high-tech leaders talking about tools to get us out and move beyond this COVID-19. Again, this is live uh, live events every Tuesday for the next three weeks at 2 p.m. Eastern to 3.30. If you're interested, make sure you register online and uh, you can participate, even ask questions of these top leaders. So that's it for uh, the headline news for this Good Friday edition of Transit Unplugged. Thanks for being with us and stay tuned for the rest of today's episode. I'm Ellie Carey, and I'm a communications consultant in San Francisco and Silicon Valley. For the last 10 years, I've worked with tech startup and venture capital, and those are business environments in which it's really vital to your success that you be able to seize a moment to introduce a transformative idea and shake up how things have been done before. I see just such a moment for public transit right now. I'm a little bit of a public transit geek. and. I think the moment that public transit has right now is to really change the narrative in the COVID-19 environment. Right now, the transit stories that we're telling are that uh, ridership is dramatically down, buses are crowded and dirty and a potential source of contagion, and we're losing funding sources like gross receipts tax. I also see different stories in public transit that public transit could start telling, including, and these are still COVID-19 stories, but they include storylines like public transit um, helps reduce global pollution that itself leads to global warming that leads to the spread of viral pandemic. And public transit reduces local pollution. We know that populations that have more uh, local air pollution are more vulnerable to respiratory disease like COVID-19. And we can also tell the personal story that people are suddenly really listening to that just for example the grocery store clerk who lives outside a major metropolitan area and needs a way to get to work she needs safe reliable affordable public transit suddenly that is vitally important to people who probably never gave it any thought before I'm interested to hear your thoughts and the thoughts of your guests. And if anybody wants to take this discussion up with me, find me on LinkedIn. My first name is spelled E-L-E-A, and my last name is Carrie, C-A-R-E-Y. Thanks. Thanks for being with us today on Transit Unplugged, the Comforts Corner special edition where we talk about how transit systems are responding to the COVID-19 crisis. And today for our newsmaker interview, 
I'm going to talk to you about uh, what I've been doing this week and uh, all the good news coming out of this week, as well as what's happening going forward for the future of public transportation, which, of course, as you know, is the title of my book, The Future of Public Transportation, where I and 40 co-authors um, put together a book and it was released just before the coronavirus pandemic, uh, March 1st, which uh, talked about what the future is. But you know what? The book really is kind of future-proofed, and uh, the information in the book is still valid and will continue to be valid uh, because it was based and rooted in reality uh, by some of these futurists and associations who wrote about trends going into uh, this new decade. So um, I've spent a lot of time this week working with uh, transit systems. I've talked to, I don't know, more than a dozen transit agency executives across America and um, also worked with APTA on um, some of the projects they're working on to implement the stimulus bill. I do want to congratulate the American Public Transit Association, its leader, Paul Skitellis, and the lobbying team for uh, helping to ensure that our $25 billion that has been allocated for the transit industry was included in that larger $2 trillion stimulus package, which passed late, late last week and was signed by the president into law. Those funds were then began to be released by the Federal Transit Administration and its leader, uh, Jane Williams, who did a tremendous job even getting it out the door one day early, which is almost unheard of in Washington. And uh, transit agencies now can begin to be reimbursed and recoup the costs of um, running their service in this new era of COVID-19. As you know, costs have gone through the roof when it comes to uh, cleaning the vehicles. Many folks who maybe clean the vehicles um, once a night um, are now cleaning them, you know, uh, at the end of each route. <laughs> uh, and they've added, you know, cleaning crews and are doing overtime and uh, having, you know, a lot of their staff be involved in cleaning down the stations. It's a lot involved to it. Think about it. It's not just cleaning the buses down in the big cities. It's cleaning the metro stations, the elevators, the high touch surfaces. Um, and, you know, the increased cost of cleaning supplies has been a lot. And so this helps them do that. Uh, the stimulus money will help them kind of um, fill the hole in their budget that's come through this package. The other hole in the budget that has hit most transit agencies um, in a big way is a loss of fare revenue. Uh, you know, that most transit systems receive probably 20 to 30% of their operating costs from the fare box. They're, all transit systems are subsidized by the government, local government and federal governments and state governments, but they're not totally subsidized. Uh, pretty much almost every system, with a few exceptions, has fares in the United States and in Canada. And um, so the commuter services, which take folks from outside the city into jobs in the city, usually rely on the fare box even more. They might have 50 to 60% of their costs covered by that. And of course, commuter services have been hit the hardest. Folks are white collar workers, who largely are the passengers on these vehicles, are working from home. And um, they may not come back as quickly as regular transit riders as they realize, hey, you know, I can use Zoom and uh, Microsoft uh, Teams and these other services that are out there to, um, to have meetings and I can do a lot of my work from home. So maybe I only go into the office three days a week instead of five. And, uh, you know, that'll save on gas and et cetera. And companies now are saying, you know, maybe we can have folks work from home and we can reduce the office space that we have to rent. So that's a real possibility. And I talk about that in a new article that'll be published this coming month in May in Metro Magazine that I wrote called The, the Five Long-Term Implications of the Coronavirus on Public Transportation. And that is one of them. It's going to be a little more difficult, I think, and it's going to be a, a lagging indicator of how we're doing on the commuter side. 
on the uh, on the regular public transit side for you know the buses the light rail vehicles the subway stations i think folks will return to them more quickly as long as we keep them clean and we keep these um, um, heavy-duty cleaning protocols in, in place and move to more of a no-touch environment where people don't have to uh, touch as many things. They can use their phones uh, or tap-and-go credit cards that they keep in their hand uh, or, or multi-use cards like the Charm card in Baltimore, the Oyster card in London that are so heavily used over there so that people don't have to actually touch anything on the vehicle if possible. And so this funding that came through APTA and the legislative uh, legislative process in Washington that they were involved in helping get that done, the unions additionally helped do that because a big part of this package will be to pay drivers who are on furlough or on administrative leave. What's happened is as a result of transit systems riderships declining so dramatically, as I mentioned, you know, 50 to 90 percent, uh, is that uh, they've had to adjust routes accordingly. Some of them have cut so many routes that they are now adding some vehicles back in because there was too many people and there was kind of shoulder to shoulder still on some of the routes. So they're adding vehicles back on. But nevertheless, a lot of systems have cut overtime for drivers, cut overtime for uh, the shops and gone back to regular pay and uh, have even reduced hours and, and put some drivers on furlough. One CEO I talked to this week said they work with the union to identify a group of high risk drivers who were over 60 or maybe had underlying health conditions and they allowed them to use paid time off sick leave, et cetera, to not have to drive and not be, you know, not be potentially exposed to anything there. And so um, as a result of that, uh, the cost to run the systems have declined a little bit, but maybe not enough to make up the cost of all the extra costs that we talked about just a few minutes ago. So this, this federal funding, the stimulus package will help to make that up, but it'll also, as I mentioned, help to cover the costs of these drivers um, who aren't generating any income, you know, by driving the service. And so uh, there was some concern over the last couple of weeks that a big chunk of the transit systems in America are run by private companies. You probably know that, right? So there's six big companies and a lot of smaller companies that do this. These are companies like Transdev, First Transit, MV, Keolis, National Express, RATP Dev, and other companies, even MTM and others. And they have represent 150,000 drivers that drive uh, public transit services across uh, North America. You know, uh, over a quarter of the services are operated under contract. And yet it wasn't clear, um, super clear, that the funding from the federal bills could be used to cover their costs unless they had uh, a contractual arrangement to pay the drivers directly, uh, direct hourly wages for them. And most of them are on revenue hours basis. And so uh, the APTA Legislative Committee voted this week to appeared unanimously to support adding uh, an extra clause in the next stimulus bill or fixed bill that comes out of Washington to ensure that all the transit agencies understand that they have the option to treat these contractor drivers the same as they're treating their own drivers, their own employee drivers, because as one person mentioned, uh, the passengers don't know who's driving these vehicles. There's no differentiation in most cases between a first transit driver, let's say, or a transit driver that works for the transit authority. All the passenger knows is that they're working to receive safe, efficient, reliable transportation with world-class customer service. And so most transit agencies across North America have already figured out that and are working with these contracting companies to make sure that they don't have to lay these drivers off by the thousands as, uh, as they're not driving the service. And so they're not getting revenue hour reimbursement. And so APTA's legislative committee made up of members that represent transit agencies largely realize this is a critical component and are pushing now along with these private contractors to ensure that um, the, the next funding or stimulus bill or fixed bill that comes out of Washington uh, allows 
for those funds to be passed directly through to cover those costs. And a lot of places, like I talked to one CEO in California who told me that she was making sure that the drivers at her contractor stay busy by delivering home delivered meals and doing other services in the community. Uh, but we know that uh, we need to make sure that uh, all these drivers are treated fairly and that we don't have to see them go work for Amazon at $17 an hour and then never come back and a whole new crop of drivers have to be hired and retrained, et cetera. And uh, we know that uh, you know safety and all that comes from all the training that these drivers have had. And so that's some of the, uh, some of the practicalities of how this stimulus funding is being rolled out. As we head into the future, as I mentioned, I think that folks are going to be making some changes in how they operate the services, and we'll cover that more in future programs. One other tidbit uh, that's coming out of Washington is we're hearing that uh, you've probably heard rumblings of it too, is that a, a new stimulus package is, uh, is brewing on the Hill, and it could include what they used to call, you know, infrastructure week or an infrastructure bill that never really got out of Washington due to a lot of the um, partisan bickering that was going on, in my opinion. But now there's a potential of a new infrastructure bill coming out. And APTA this week came out and asked for at least $178 billion to be included in that for public transit, right? So this is a way that we could rebuild the infrastructure that we know is crumbling across America, the public transit infrastructure. One of the great things that came out of uh, Washington during this whole um, coronavirus pandemic is the fact that our federal lawmakers and the president seems to have realized that public transit is an essential service. It's not just a nicety and that public transit agencies and the services they provide are critical to maintaining, you know, a semblance of society, right? The people that ride our services are getting to these frontline essential jobs. You know, they're nurses and doctors and pharmacists and grocery stores and, and delivery people, et cetera. And they've got to use public transit to get where they're going. And so uh, perhaps we have crossed the Rubicon where the federal government now will take more of a funding responsibility, especially when it comes to, uh, you know, the heavier infrastructure that we're talking about in this bill, but also when it comes to formula funds to make sure that there is adequate funding, that public transit can remain uh, a vital, the vital force that it is right now, where, you know, there, there was a, there was, there's so many people that rely on it to get to where they're going, right? And transit finally was seeing an increase in ridership at the end of 2019. For the last three quarters, there were increases after a five-year decline. We were back going up and then this hit. And of course, you know, it's a body blow to the ridership of transit. But if the federal government now realizes that they have a, uh, the implications here are that they need to make sure that they fund it at levels commensurate with how they're doing it in other uh, advanced countries around the world, like Australia and Europe and Canada. And the United States may now, the federal government may realize it has a greater responsibility. And so that's something I think positive that can come out of this is that we might see higher levels of funding in the regular annual fiscal funding formulas that come out of DC for public transit going forward. Well, that's it for this uh, look inside the headlines and what's happening in America, across North America, and really across the world as we uh, work through this coronavirus pandemic and hopefully come out the other side uh, stronger and better prepared for the future. I'm Paul Comfort. Stay safe out there. Well, thank you for being with us today on Comfort's Corner, uh, part of Transit Unplugged. I'm Paul Comfort. And if you want to know a roadmap to recovery out of the COVID-19 crisis, I'd encourage you to download a copy of my book, The Future of Public Transportation, because 40 of the world's leading futurists, associations, and transit leaders have written sections on what is going to happen in the future of public transportation. 
even with the current advent of the COVID-19 crisis, most of these recommendations are future-proof. And so as you read these chapters and you look at the thoughts from folks like Matt Cole about open loop payments or Sasha Pajic, uh, how we're moving to zero emission buses or Andrea Potter moving from transit on demand to mobility on demand, all of these things or Q&A with David Pickroll, the mobility futurist, they're all still happening. And even as we move out of the COVID-19 era in the next few months, these things will all still be occurring. So the book is The Future of Public Transportation. It was a number one bestseller worldwide on Amazon uh, for transportation books. I'd encourage you to take a look at it. It's available for digital download on Amazon or for uh, a hard copy, which a lot of people still enjoy paperback copies of books. I do, I know. Uh, and it's available on Barnes & Noble or Amazon for that. Today, I'm going to read the forward of the book written by Robbie Mackinnon, the Chief Executive Officer of the Kansas City Area Transportation Authority. Robbie is the um, one of my closest friends in the industry, is the only blind CEO of a major transit system, lost his vision uh, as an adult, and uh, was able to, what he told me was, Paul, when I lost my sight, it gave me new vision for how to create a better public transit system. So I asked him to write the foreword to the book, and here's what he said. When Paul asked me to write the foreword to his new book, The Future of Public Transportation, my answer was immediately yes. First of all, Paul's a good friend and I was honored to be asked. He was one of my first industry peers I met after pivoting from my role as chairman of the board of the Kansas City Area Transportation Authority, KCATA, to president and CEO of the organization. Right away, I could see that Paul Comfort was an innovator and saw things through a similar lens as me. He knows like I do that real change is only possible at the end of your comfort zone. So let's get a little uncomfortable. <clears throat> when I lost my vision seven years ago, it was incredibly hard for me to do business across the city, county, and state lines. I was thrust into a new way of life and had to learn to navigate multiple transit systems. I had to trust in the coordination of four transit agencies to help me get around the region. What I found was the system was fractured, difficult to use, and broken. So at KCATA, we decided to fix it. We became the regional transportation authority that we were intended to be. We fixed our paratransit system so customers with diverse abilities, you won't find this in the dictionary, like me, could get around the region with ease and dignity. Now following a strategic approach to implement zero fare transit for veterans, students, and lifeline customers, we are even closer to implementing zero fare transit for everyone in Kansas City, Missouri. In his book, Paul visits with industry leaders who are not afraid to step out from the pack and present their own perspectives on the future of our industry. I know in Kansas City, we are charting new territory every day. As innovation, as innovative approaches like zero fare transit loom on the horizon, we can all clearly see that the return on investment of social justice, compassion, and empathy far outweigh the return on investment of concrete and asphalt. That's the forward to my book by Robbie Mackinnon, the CEO of the Kansas City Area Transportation Authority. And you can see how relevant what he's saying is. I think that's one of the big trends that'll come out of this whole COVID-19 crisis is the move toward fare-free transportation. Since this book was published, Robbie's uh, agency has gone to fare-free uh, to deal with the COVID-19 crisis, as have a number of other agencies. And it wouldn't surprise me if many of them stay that way or at least go cash-free. I've got a new article coming out in this next month's Metro Magazine called the... Uh, uh, five 
you know, long-lasting implications of the coronavirus on public transit. And we discuss all of them in that article in Metro Magazine. Keep your eye out for it. In the meantime, have a great Good Friday weekend, Easter weekend with your family. And even if you can't be with all your family, like we can't this weekend either at my house, my wife and I have six children, three of them are grown adults, and we're not supposed to have gatherings of more than 10 people in our state. So we're not going to be able to get everybody together. But we will share uh, in our hopes and dreams for a brighter tomorrow in a brighter future. Keep hope alive and stay safe out there.